Oh, hello. Fancy seeing you here on a Monday morning, but glad you could join us. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, we will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their businesses to success in an ever-competitive business climate. So pour yourself a hot cup and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today I have a very special guest. His name is Alan Weingarten. He is a longtime uh, client of ours and a friend. He's also a North Dakota State University alumni uh, with a master's degree in agricultural economics, a longtime loan officer and lender, and one of my all-time favorite real estate developers and entrepreneurs. Welcome, Alan. Thank you, Lance. Uh, I'm so glad you made the trip up today from Denver. I know it's, uh, it's been snowing like crazy here and everything, but let's start from the top. Tell me, uh, everybody else too, uh, obviously, what, what drew you to economics at North Dakota State? Um, probably it wasn't a lot of wisdom or anything. It uh, was where I just went because I grew up on a farm in the rural part of North Dakota, and um, I knew that I wanted to do something different. Uh, because working on the farm really wasn't uh, exciting to me, and I was very dependent on the weather. And uh, we'd had kind of some tough times growing up on the farm with hailstorms and droughts and those kinds of things. So uh, having an opportunity to be in a career where I could control my outcome was important. Yeah, that makes sense. What did you guys... I'm much the same in the sense of not feeling like there's a lot of control, because I grew up in North Dakota too. Uh, not of a lot of opportunity either, right? Is that then? So when, when you went when you went to went to school, is what led you to be an entrepreneur? Because when I whenever you whenever you and I talk, you have a million things going on. It's I'm always so impressed, and I feel like I'm not doing enough. <laughs> Alan's one of these guys that can't sit still. He's even worse than me. Right. Well, I guess I have a lot of energy, and uh, so I really uh, initially tried being a banker. And uh, that didn't really work because, you know, it was sort of an eight to five mentality. And if you did really well, you could get a three or a 5% raise and that didn't make any sense. So I like being paid uh, on commission and or by results. And so if you have lots of energy, even if you're doing things foolishly, initially you're learning and then you can reapply. And I also think that maybe because my father was a farmer, you know, it was sort of became part of my DNA and I didn't even realize it, that you were out taking risks and doing things and getting compensated if the weather didn't interfere. Yeah. What, uh, how long did you, how long were you trying to, did you work in a bank before you sort of going, went off in these ventures? Um, initially, I worked in the bank for seven years at a variety of trust officer, loan officer, and I learned some good things. But uh, then I quickly discovered that it would be better off to be in something more entrepreneurial. And so then I did commercial real estate for seven years. And so then I could make, you know, multiples of what I made at the bank. And then, uh, then I actually did uh, home mortgages for 22 years. And that really was great because then my job was to be rainmaker and problem solver. And then and I had a team that did all the paperwork, which I'm terrible at. <laughs> Fair enough. What then? So, so if we had to recap, it was basically what over 
14 to 21 years, something like that, where you were working for other people, but then eventually on a commission basis, and you can see the rate of return for if you're doing more deals, you get paid more, right? Sort of out of this fixed fix a salary scenario. Right. Yeah, giving up the salary and being entrepreneurial. I didn't really know that, but once I understood that I got paid for what I did, then... Um, well, it causes you to think differently in how you're spending your time. Because if you're just collecting you know, your paycheck for hours, then you just put in your time and you go home. But if you know that you could be paid more, or if you're doing um, maybe little projects that you're your assistant's assistant, then you might be getting paid um, $5 an hour, 10 or 20. And if you can figure out activities that generate $100 or now creating investments that continue to pay you back over decades, then you get paid every day, even while you're sleeping. Even when you're sleeping, absolutely. That's one of the, be- one of the more beautiful things about uh, being an entrepreneur and trying to get those, those sort of projects in play that allow you to, to constantly accrue wealth, right? Let's move, as we move, as we, as we move forward then, tell, what led you to real estate development? You know, out of baking, is that, was that kind of your ultimate epiphany? Well, again, it probably started on our family farm because we, we built buildings on the farm and I love doing that. So we would tear down an old building, save the lumber and build a new building and which was much more functionally uh, uh, usable and uh, and then creating something and the smell of lumber, I don't know if that's the uh, fresh sawn wood just for me is fabulous. And it's very rewarding to going from something which is a bunch of paperwork to creating something. And then again, collecting those rents every month while uh, you're sleeping is uh, something that I really enjoy. Yeah, what was your first real estate development? Um, or investment, it could be either or. Yeah, well, like right out of college, uh, you know, I bought some duplexes and triplexes when I was, uh, well, I guess I was maybe in my early 20s. And so I could see how they worked. I didn't really understand it all, but, you know, didn't have much money, make a small down payment and then make your monthly payments and manage them. So that was probably the first things we did. And then... Uh, was that know, in North Dakota? That was in Fargo, North Dakota. Okay. And um, so I had, oh, maybe three or four of those small investment properties and then came down to Denver and started buying single family houses and uh, rehabbing those and renting them out. And then, uh, and I was fortunate, uh, you know, to invest in the Highlands, which was an area that was sort of catching on. I thought I was really smart, but the reality is anyone who did something was smart. Right. And so fortunately we bought and sold a lot of those houses and uh, typically we bought them and then uh, remodeled them and then rented them out. And then they would double or triple in value and then we would sell them and do some more. What did you learn from those first investments? And did you, were you coached by anybody about which, what, what those particular ones that you bought or was it sort of kind of, could just kind of come into the fold and then the learning started to happen? Uh, you know, I, uh, there was a, a guy sort of indirectly, a guy by the name of John Schaub, and he wrote a book called Making It Big in, with Little Deals. 
and he was an attorney in Florida, and I think you could probably still buy the book. I, it might be out of print, but he had the thing that he would go ahead, and he liked skiing, and he liked airplanes, and so instead of buying, uh, going on expensive ski trips and buying an airplane, he would buy a house, and then he would buy it and create cash flow, and then he would use that to fund his ski trips and airplane habit. When did you read that book? In college? Oh, uh, no, I probably read it um, now, probably close to 40 years ago. and uh, But that really made a lot of sense. Yeah, it's actually, called, I looked it up, you, you're right, It's you can still get it. It's on Amazon, it's got like a 4.4 rating. Uh, building wealth one house at a time, making it big on little deals. Yeah. And so that really, and I mean, he systematized it. And there's a lot to systematize things. He used the same color paint in every single one. And oh, interesting. And the same appliance package and all of those things. So then if you have to do touch-up paint, but he systematized it. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the real key to anything is systematizing. Did you follow that? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little nugget I hope everybody takes home with them for sure. Just right. I mean, you're trying to create this system, this and a, an efficient ecosystem. That that's that's what it's all about for sure. Yeah. And then you replicate it. Um, when did you first do your first actual real estate development? And, I, and obviously, I oh, think in, sure. a, in addition accounts even at that point. Yeah. Well, we started then. We bought some lots on the Western Slope, and we built some townhouses, and we built uh, some single-family houses there, and. Uh, and so that really was the, things were booming then, the oil boom was on, and I thought that I had uh, managed the risk properly and talking to geologists and understanding, uh, you know, the, the whole uh, economic driver. It was a one-horse town, and so there was a fair amount of risk mm -hmm. involved. And if the oil dropped out. If the oil dropped out. And then this thing called horizontal drilling came into place, oh, yeah. and it changed the rules. And uh, so, uh, but we uh, sort of rolled up our sleeves and we rented out the properties that we couldn't sell. And in some cases, our exit strategy, instead of being uh, six months, it turned into 10 years. Um, wow. But they cash flowed enough and we had enough capital in the deals that we could go. And the banks were really nice to us uh, because we um, had kept our day jobs and so we paid them. And so they were really great to work with. In some of the other cases, some of my friends, uh, the banks were pretty mean and they uh, forced them to sell. Yeah. What do you think the difference was? Do you think it was the mean versus nice? Do you think it was because you just always had a W-2, every you and your wife? Well, and I wasn't running from the problem and going, woe is me. I rolled up our sleeves and we got the tenants in that would make the payments and uh, we added capital when necessary. So, uh, um, yeah, it, it worked out uh, well uh, with the banks. We did have a contractor, uh, a general contractor that stole about a half million dollars. So that oh uh, was another little seminar we picked up along the way. And so we had to write a lot of checks to subs who thought they were, I thought they were paid. Mm -hmm. And then we would get these registered uh, letters in the mail that they hadn't been paid. So, um, but he kind of took off with the money. And so uh, we uh, learned from that and sucked it up and wrote the checks. And uh, now we pay close attention, <laughs> closer attention to who we're dealing with. <laughs> yeah. Was that basically the lesson you would take from that half a million dollar lesson is just you're more on top of 
the contractors that you hire or is there more i mean obviously you and i know brian tinker very well and he, he's been on this show and he's a reputable man he's, he very, he's, a, he's an honorable man and uh, i know that you value that we were just talking about before we started recording about the trust, right? Yes. And and how much more, how much better that makes business relationships. It does. And understanding the marketplace at the beginning and having a detailed budget at the beginning and having a detailed timeline at the beginning. And so, and then weekly check-ins really help because then if, if there's only, if we're saying, well, our work looks like we're behind on drywall and they say, well, there's going to be 10 guys there on Thursday, then I would, they would know that I would be at the job site on Thursday counting mm-hmm. and Brian would say, well, one guy's six, so there'll only be nine guys there because they knew that you're coming. We were paying attention. So paying attention, you know, to the marketplace at the beginning and the process and the budget and the timelines really makes it you're a good partner then. Yeah. And then paying them quickly, everybody quickly, uh, because if they're doing their job and treating them nice, then it makes for a good relationship. One hundred percent. Yeah. Talk about the marketplace. How did you how did you hone in on knowing what to buy and where to buy it though? I mean, did you have any real real estate acumen or did you just hire the right people to look at that for you? Um there's um there's a book called the Clipper Ship um, Strategy. Okay. And it talks about following the money. And in the mortgage business, we were in the mortgage business having a big transaction. So we knew what baby boomers were wanting. And so we paid attention to that. So where there's lots of money flowing, then that's a good place to be because then you can take a, a, a modest fee and being fair. But if you're in the flow of money and the clipper ship strategy essentially says that clipper ships used to be able to uh, sail around the Cape and get to the West Coast and sell gold panning supplies for the, the gold miners in California and pay for the ship in one trip. So being quick and knowing where the demand and money were, were a big thing. Yeah, I love that. Two awesome book uh, recommendations so far. Fantastic. What did you, what led, so after you did the single family stuff, then what led you to the memory care work? Well, in the economic slowdown that we had uh, in 08, 09, that period of time, it was hard to for me to figure out how to make money. And so I started asking people about uh, uh, other avenues. And so I kept hearing about the little small assisted living facilities, which I didn't even know they existed. Mm-hmm. But it sort of aligned with... Uh, you know, giving a high level of care. And then we toured some of our competitors and we were inspired uh, because we knew we could build a nicer building. And then uh, we thought that we could maybe hire, you know, good quality people. And so that was sort of what caused us to go in that direction. My sister, who's a nurse, said, what do you know about caring for people? And I said, I know nothing. She was like saying, yes, uh, you're probably going (laughs) to fall flat on your face. But we hired the right people then that could do the caregiving. And that really helped, and thus we started moving along that path. Granted, we made mistakes sure. as far as designing the buildings. Uh, the first one we did 10 years ago, we've had to remodel twice. Uh, we didn't know Lance at the time, and so uh, Lance now is the 
we tried three different architects before we found Lance, and now, of course, we'll only use Lance. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. No, it, it was really fun. We're, I think we've worked together since 2013, 2012-ish maybe. And we met earlier than that, though. But, yeah, going through all of those different versions with you and honing them in was really, was a really interesting process to see. And Alan, to give Alan a lot of credit, I think he is, he, in many ways, in working with him that in that way and knowing what the occupants need, honing in on such a kind of a new product, Alan was at the forefront um, for, for this product, I think. You, you've, you've created some really nice spaces for people to live in. Yeah, and... You know, if we and they're, th- they're not institutional either. That's no, the best thing about them, I think. Exactly, because people don't like to be a part of institutions, right. no matter how old you are. Especially if you think about, uh, we have people with memory care uh, needs, and if they're coming from their house or a place, they want to have in a be in a place that is comfortable, not institutional. And so having a warm, well-lit, uh, Lance helped us with the last plan that uh, my mom had said, I only want to go to an assisted living facility if there can be two windows in my room. Yeah. And so you remember, you managed yep. to achieve that in every single room. So they all have two wind outside windows. And, uh, and that's important. Light is an important thing. So, uh, uh, yeah, paying attention to our customers' needs and their families' needs are, you know, is very important. Try to stand in their shoes. Yeah. I hope other entrepreneurs that are listening and want to maybe jump into real estate development understand that that for, for from an architect standpoint, that I wish more clients were like you in the sense that they would help drive the ship, but not too much. You know, that there's the best buildings that we've done so far in our short tenure as architects here at F9 have been the, the ones where the client has some serious vision that we can then articulate and, and professionalize for them. But that, that is so critical. What is one of the biggest challenges um, with developing memory care homes? Because people are wanting to do them. I mm-hmm. mean, it, there's a giant demand for them right now. What do you think the biggest, in your, it could be in your experience or just in general? Well, I would say in developing them, then the interaction with the city Mm. is the critical piece because you can have this grand plan and maybe interaction with reality as far as the costs and, and timelines. So understanding those and having good relationships with the architect, the builder, and the city, those things are really paramount and understanding again what the marketplace wants. So if you if you can mesh all of those things together, and uh, and paying attention to each little step along the way on a daily basis really helps you get to an end result. And you have to have your pro forma and your models to know that it all works. And then that that human element extends then to building a team of caregivers and uh, management is really critical too, because without that, you just have an empty building. Yeah. Let's go back to the one point about the bureaucratic red tape. That's how I'm, that's how I kindly tell clients these days. I just, you know, without getting too political, like there are bureaucrats with a lot of red tape now to be a developer. It takes, we have got this thing called site plan review. It's a whole nother level of, just hoops we have to jump through to get stuff done what do you think what is your if you could give advice to people who want to maybe do this for the first or maybe even the second time and they've done this for a while 
what, what, what do you think the best approach is to get through that stuff? Is it just knowing that you're going to have to go through it and then coming to terms with it? But how else can you help push through that? Well, I would say that, um, and we use this in a, in a couple of the last buildings, is that we talk to the city ahead of time. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we're on first name basis with Bill and Jake, and we're saying, help me understand a lot. And if you were in our shoes, and when you have that kind of relationship with the municipality, then they can steer you clear of it. And then they have to, you know, they have to operate within their framework. And they may not even fully agree with it, but they have to play by the rules. Right. So to understand that it's not really what we think, but we have to play in a game where it's their rules. And there's there's reasons whether they're good or not i guess that's up for interpretation yeah. but understanding that and then asking them how can we achieve this and try to create a partnership with them and i guess you maybe need to meditate or breathe a little bit every <laughs> so often because there are times when it just flat out drives you crazy but you have to step back and say this is where it is yeah. and uh, um and so they're doing their job how do you keep your persistence through that what keeps you persistent? Because to me, as a guy, we're sitting in the de the building we built also. I, I'm, I've been in the developer's shoes. That's really what it was more than anything was persistence and just not letting up. Right. Yeah. Well, and if you're driven by some purpose, you care, uh, you, you know, you have to have a driver that is bigger than the transaction and a driver better, bigger than the economics. Because if you're looking to create a space for people and or you're or create a space that's good to work or those things or make a difference in the way people live their lives during a difficult time, then that can be a driver that can get you over the bumps. If it's about getting, it, it just doesn't work. It has to be about giving and making a difference, a true difference in the world that then you can be bold and you can go forward and it isn't about me because I would do anything for my family or friends or my, if my sons um, and if that's or our residents or our caregivers. And so if that's really your driver, then that's more powerful than how much money is in the bank. 100%. Money is so fleeting with mm -hmm. the happiness it can bring. It's just so, it's just, the more, the more successful we are, I mean, I'm just coming to terms with that. I, I kind of feel like it's sort of a midlife crisis, not, not, but a checkpoint rather. You're too young for a midlife. Well, a, a midlife checkpoint where I'm like, <laughs> wow, I've, uh, I've built my, I've built a, you know, I built a firm, built a custom house. I've built my own office. Huh. And, and we're making good money. And I'm like, well, it's still not just the key to, to the happiness and the drive. There's something bigger. And I, so I really liked, I really appreciated that, that explanation. I think it was spot on. Let's, let's wrap this up with, I, I always have a tough question for everybody. And so yours is, uh, knowing what you know now, and if you could travel back in time, what is one piece of advice you would give your young self? Get in the game sooner and don't play safe because, you know, the safe job, follow your inspiration and take action sooner rather than waiting uh, and, and move forward. I would just do it quicker because when you're really following that inner voice, there's, uh, there's good things that are happening. It's scary. 
totally. it's really scary. But doing that, stepping into the unknown, and uh, uh, is very, very important. And do it sooner rather than later. I love it. Thanks for being on, Alan. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on the iTunes app. Tip your barista, and we'll see you next week for more Monday morning coffee with Inside the Firm.